0: Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of The Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey.
1: Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are on a metabolic mission to help you achieve vitality and reverse chronic lifestyle conditions using real full foods, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. Today, I will interview Dr. Michael Kay, who had me on his show not too long ago. But before we dive into that, I have a couple of news items for you. So first of all, you probably haven't seen this in the headlines because big news doesn't want to pick up this type of news, but we have good news affirming the health benefits and the nutrient density of meat. Yes, this is a duh if you listen to the Nourishment Mindset podcast. But the plant-based stuff is out there. And I'm not saying you shouldn't eat your vegetables. But people trying to take your meat away from you is all about control. It is not about your health. Meat is the most nutrient-dense, health-affirming food on the planet. So what am I talking about? The Dublin Declaration this is a thousand scientists from around the world who have signed a petition affirming the health benefits of meat the group published nine peer-reviewed papers in the scientific journal of animal frontiers they offer new evidence on the nutritional benefits of pork chicken and beef and reaffirm that the highest standard of epidemiological evidence underscore that the regular consumption of meat, dairy, and eggs as part of a well-balanced diet is advantageous to human beings. So bravo Dublin declaration. In other news, completely different news, doesn't really have to do much with nourishment because in fact this dude (laughs) I can say has too much nourishment going on in his life. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about John Allman. You ever heard of John Allman? If not, you're missing out. This guy travels the world in search of adventure. He goes to some of my absolute favorite places like France, Italy, the Caribbean, Key West. This guy is a really cool dude, and y'all should meet him. So here's how I'm going to introduce you This is Hell, a novel. Written by my very own husband, Patrick Huey. So I'm going to read y'all a little bit about what it's about. Midway on his life's journey, John Allman quit his job to see the world. It was supposed to be a first class ticket to paradise for the Iraq war veteran who made it to the pinnacle of his investment management firm, guiding his clients through the 2008 financial crisis. But his past won't let him decompress no matter where. Virgil his mysterious travel guide sends him and as he tours the globe and descends through the nine levels of hell his own dark secrets are exposed so i actually really do love this book even if my husband had if my husband had written a book that i didn't like i wouldn't be talking about it but why am i talking about it today i've been doing this podcast for coming up on 9 months i'm talking about it today because when this show airs, it will be the day after Memorial Day, which is of course to honor our fallen patriots. My husband is a veteran. This book is about a veteran who struggles with PTSD and some of the proceeds from this book benefit the Wounded Warrior Project. So if you're looking for a good Non-nutrition book to read, check out Hell, a novel by Patrick Huey. It's on Amazon. It has fantastic reviews. I actually sat in my in the parking lot of my dermatologist's office one day, well after the appointment, just because it's a page turner and I had to finish it. I had to see what happened to him in the end. Um, so I promise you it's an awesome book. And I'm not just saying that because my last name's Huey all right we're gonna get on with my interview with dr k so i told y'all i have a special guest today his name is dr michael k he owns and operates the center for functional health near philadelphia pennsylvania he is a fellow nutrition network alumni he is studying for a major exam and he's taking it today so this guy is always learning. He is um, autoimmune paleo certified coach. He's an author. He's working on a new book. Dr. K, welcome to The Nourishment Mindset. It's
0: an honor to be here. I can't wait to speak with you today.
1: Great. So in my intro, I told my listeners about this Dublin declaration, and I'm calling it the Great Big Duh. So what do you think of the Dublin Declaration declaring that animal foods are in fact healthy for humans?
0: Yeah, shocked, absolutely shocked, uh, and I say that sarcastically. Um, you know, l- listen, we're we're some people say we're not meant to eat meat, and I'm going to say that we are meant to eat animal product. Um, it's important for our growth of our muscles, important for our brain. There's so many health facets that we get from animal protein that we don't get completely from at being like a vegetarian or a vegan. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a vegetarian vegan. I see some vegetarian vegans in the office. They're not always the healthiest. Um, So, you know, we have to find this fine line where we can bridge our philosophy, uh, how we feel about animals. And I am a huge, huge animal lover Um, and how we feel about our environment, our world, and then how we feel about our physiology. And we have to kind of blend all of that together. So respect for everybody that eats meat, that eats vegetables. Um, but I will say, you know, when we look at how we grow and how we function, you know, eating animal protein is important. So that's my feeling. So, you know, when we say they, they're they now declaring it, my reply is yes. Correct. No, duh.
1: Yes. The great big duh. So- right. Let's switch gears and talk about functional medicine, because this is different from maybe what most people think of when they're going to the doctor for a preventative care visit or a cold. Like, what are you doing as a functional medicine practitioner?
0: Right. So functional medicine isn't better than traditional conventional medicine. Um, It's just another part of it, as far as I'm concerned, when we look at the health of the individual. So I like to explain that, you know, with our conventional and our primary care medicine, they're there to make sure that we don't die and they do a great job. And I work with a lot of these folks and from a functional medicine perspective, it's kind of like, what can we do to optimize your life? How can we make your lifespan something that's long and healthy as opposed to where you're living longer but you're on a lot of medications and you won't feel that great. So the question comes like how and what can we do to make you feel great when you're 70? 80, 90, 100. That's what we're looking for. So it's not like one is better than the other. It's not. I feel that they're complementary to each other. And as part of my program, if you don't have a primary care physician, you can't even work with me. So I will get you a primary care physician. Because I think as a blended world is how we really become healthy and stay healthy. In the conventional traditional medicine, it's like, you know, you have a problem, you see your doctor, and then you get a medicine for that, right? That's what all my patients say. Every time I go to my doctor, all they do is write me a prescription. I'm like, well, that's their job, right? So sometimes, we'll get a little bit political here, um, sometimes they will go deeper and they'll start testing and looking for other things. But a lot of these folks don't have a lot of time especially if they're sucked into the corporate world of medicine. So if it's a sole proprietor, um, they have a lot of time that they can spend with the patient. But because it demands of the insurance of documentation, and if you have a corporate overlord, it's hard to really treat the patient that you want to treat. And I think that's why a lot of our traditional folks, our MDs and our DOs actually transition into functional medicine, because like, I can't treat my patient the way I want to treat. I can't get them the test that they, that they need. So again, it's not that they're, you know, one's better than the other. It's that they belong together. So I always say they're there to make sure that you don't die. I'm here to make sure that you live long and healthy and happy. So we'll spend time on that acute. You're looking at, you know, you come with an acute sickness. You have that acute sinusitis. You have that ear infection. Something's going wrong from a diabetic perspective, that's what you're going to look at, and that's their job. And then on our side of things, like, how do we look at all of that after that and make you feel better?
1: So, it so sounds that's the difference, difference between like thriving and Correct. just sort of living or, or rolling along you're You're optimizing. I love it.
0: Correct. So we get to look at stuff like sleep. We ask about sleep, we ask about digestion, we ask about movement, because when you get down to it, that's what it's really about. Like, how are you pooping? How are you digesting? How are you sleeping? How well are you moving? Uh, How well is your mindset? So we wanna look at that whole person, not just they came in with this specific problem. And then functional medicine also gets to branch out. So there are functional medicine practitioners who just really focus in on autoimmune or just the thyroid or just the gut or just the hormones. So they like to focus on that. But when we really look at that, it's a combination of it all. So in our practice, we'll see people with cardiometabolic challenges. So think about your type two diabetes, uh, upper, you know, elevated cholesterol, the triglycerides are off the chart. Um, those who have difficulties losing weight, and then we look at those who have autoimmune conditions, uh, which seem to be grown by leaps and yes. bounds. You know, we're seeing that. And we want to say, okay, want to take a step back and look at them and say, yes, you have this diagnosis, but you are not your diagnosis. Your diagnosis does not define you. And let's see what we can do to optimize what we have.
1: I love it. This is great. So, like you the practitioner the patient will need to be prepared to spend some time and invest in this course of optimization because it's this is much more in depth than your 15 minutes stick out your tongue here's an antibiotic
0: (laughs) correct correct but a lot of times when just when they fill out our paperwork our initial paperwork and you know i had a patient the other day said why i didn't realize all that is going on with me Mm. the the health journey is important so it's it's where did it where did it begin right we you know we're not talking about like okay you fell last week you broke your leg okay that that started last week but when we look back where where did it begin and sometimes it actually begins in our childhood so when we look at somebody from that health perspective it's not only what their labs look like and what they're clinically presenting with but i want to know like hey what's going on upstairs because right? a lot of times if we don't address issues of things that occurred when we were younger, then sometimes it's hard to move that health needle forward.
1: Gosh, I love it. I'm just like, I'm feeling very filled with, um, I, I don't know if it's joy, but I'm just imagining what it must be like um, to be in your shoes, in your office, and like really like knowing the patient, like right. sitting with them, listening, like that's just got to be so gratifying. To it really is. It's, a, it's,
0: a, it's a conversation, right? And that's what they don't always get is that conversation. I'm fortunate to work with quite a few medical docs and DOs, MDs and DOs who like, they stood their ground and they're still going to speak with their patient. They're going to converse with their patient and they're going to do whatever they need to do to make sure that their patient is safe and healthy. So there's a few left it's just getting harder. And we're noticing even around us, that I work with a lot of great you know, gastroenterologists and they're no longer by themselves. They're now owned by a corporation or they're owned by the hospital. Um, and, and, and I respect their frustration.
1: Yes, and you're independent, which is wonderful. So, I'm independent. <laughs> when we met, I admitted to you something that was kind of hard to admit, but I like to just lay stuff on the table. So I grew up with an orthopedic surgeon father, um, and he described chiropractic uh, practitioners, anyone involved in mental health. Uh, I wanted, to, I thought I wanted to be a psychologist when I grew up. He called all of this quackery, um, and I'm just wondering: is do you find this in mainstream? It, you're working with practitioners, so obviously not. But why? I understand why my dad said that because he's like, I am an MD, you know, and I sit on MD mountain. Um, and of course the dude's like overweight and has a poor lifestyle and is not healthy at all. He's really good at like, you know, giving you a new knee or hip. Um, but he doesn't understand what you understand. So I'm just wondering what's it like working with other MD practitioners. Are they all like that? Or are some of them a little more um open to holistic practice? Yeah. I think
0: I feel it's definitely changed over the years. Um I'm going on 35 years of practice now. So I think it's definitely changed. When I first moved to Pennsylvania from California, the California setting was a little bit different. Everybody was into this whole health, you know, thing. So Most of my patients came to me because going to the chiropractor was just the healthy thing you did. I mean, their mom and dad went, now they go. Um, It was just part of being healthy. It wasn't seen as, well, the last thing you can do is, all right, well, why don't you try one of these guys, right? So um, it was part of it. In fact, in California, I would say to my patients, and I was like, hey, listen, you need to see the like regular doctor and they're like, oh, well, they're not going to do anything. And, it, and that's not necessarily true, right? So coming out of this California model, I was already working with some medical doctors. I come to Pennsylvania and I see a patient in the office and I write a letter to the doctor. Dear Dr. Smith, had the opportunity to see your patient. Looks like a lumbar sprain strain. Hopefully with an A-10 visit, they'd feel better. This doctor calls me and screams at me. He's irate. How dare you send me a letter? Who are you? You know, I don't believe in chiropractic. and, all, and I'm, I'm just being like, this is what we're supposed to do, colleague to colleague. And that's when I learned, and this is 1993, that the hierarchy was like MD, DO, yeah. everybody else, Satan, and then chiropractic. <laughs> so I was below, I was below Satan. That's where I was, right? So we got MD, we got DO, or other allied healthcare practitioner, a whole bunch of other people, Satan than me. So it was interesting to see that. But then, you know, you get a patient better here, you get a patient better there, they go back. And then over time, it changes, right? So the old guys just had this thing like, it's a bunch of BS. And then when we look back at it and we look at like manipulation, the DOs, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicines, I love DOs, you know, they make great docs. They get great education. Those folks would manipulate for increased blood flow.
1: Okay. The
0: chiropractor manipulates for increased nerve flow. And now the physical therapist, they manipulate for bone and biomechanical integrity. So who's right. They all are right. So they all are right. And they all have their place. So I think now years have gone by. I think, a lot of the new docs like yeah well i went to a chiropractor or i had a friend that went chiropractic so i don't think it's so more of the the new but yeah boy the the old guys were tough in fact i one of the, the neurologists i work with his patient was an orthopedic doctor uh-huh. and he, he told him go see dr k what kind of doctor is a chiropractic he's like I, I just can't do it yeah. and he, he you know here's this guy older guy would refuse to come just could not relinquish his old belief system. But thankfully I think, you know, over time, and you know, we, we, we as chiropractors have done good work and there's more work to do. Um, when we went to school, our school, the, the school that I went to is, you know, was big on nutrition was big on, you know, being holistic um but there was room and there is room for blending the worlds and and that's where I am at so i i blend both worlds
1: i love it and i really i mean we're both as i said nutrition network alums i'm curious i mean it sounds like from your chiropractic schooling that they were already into nutrition but you've gone above and beyond so i'm curious you know why you got so interested in nutrition enough to like keep going back I mean you're studying for an exam right now like why is nutrition a a passion subject for you
0: I was an overweight bullied kid plain and simple um so overweight wearing black framed glasses and going into junior high mm, did not bode well for me
1: yeah those junior high kids are rude so it's
0: rough to begin with Um, and then, you know, when you look like that, it's, it just wasn't fun. Right. So that, and then I got colitis and then, which I think is more irritable bowel when I look back at it. Um, so it was ninth grade, it was ninth grade when I got into nutrition. I grew up in Philadelphia though. It was such a gastronomical experience. I mean, hot dogs and hamburgers and hoagies and, pizza and what we call goldenberg, cheesecake cheese. right
1: is that philly
0: yeah, cheesecake i mean it was amazing food you know um it, it was hard to give some of that up but when you take a look at my household um you know we thought being bloated was normal right so i thought the roll aids on the counter was just after dinner mints. wow <clears throat> so parents were already pre-diabetic they just didn't have the term pre-diabetic yes then they became diabetic Right. So in the house, it was like heart disease, diabetes, stroke, autoimmune, cancer, they're all gone. They've been gone for a while. Right. So um, you see that, at least for me, I saw that, and I'm like, I've got to do something different. So when I told my parents in ninth grade, going tenth grade, like, listen, we probably don't want to eat the the white bread as much, and we want to like back off on the hot dogs and the hamburgers and thought michael had that eating disorder Um,
1: oh interesting (laughs) yeah
0: yeah but you know i I didn't you know obviously it was like you take a look at this like this is not going to move that health needle forward so i tried several different diets i was vegan i was vegetarian you know I, i mean did it all followed whatever latest fad was out trying to lose weight and just got steeped deeper into nutrition and movement did competitive bodybuilding when i was a teenager uh, some Powerlifting. Yeah. So it was always about health and the goal is to live to 110. So that's, that's been my goal for a very, 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 very long time. Um, that's how I got into it. But when we look at my family's health is, is the real driving factor.
1: Interesting. So from, from childhood, that's amazing. Yeah. So how do you work with your patients around nutrition?
0: We're an interesting animal. Um, The biggest thing we get when people come to us is like, just tell me what to eat. Just if you tell me what to eat, I'll eat it. I'm thinking, well, that's okay, but I do and you won't. So (laughs) how do we work around that, right? Uh, Because they're very frustrated. So the patients that come, it's like they've been to a doctor. They've done the blood work. It's normal, right? They've done x-rays, MRIs, and it's normal, whatever it may be. It's normal, and they still feel horrible and the answer to the doctor is to write a script you know now it's nothing against the doctors like they want to do something the patient wants to have something um but it's not always the answer unfortunately from a female perspective there's still the genre of doctors well you're a female so things are going to change anyway and that's just the way it is or you're depressed So here's a pill and to help you with your anxiety and depression. It's not that anxiety and depression isn't real. It's very real, um, but it's not every patient that comes in the door, right? So when we look at food, we always look at the relationship we have to food. And as you and I have learned, those hyper palatable foods are the ones that sets the brain off. I was speaking with a patient yesterday and it was just open, normal conversation talking about her food journal because we have her patients journal of food and how they feel we're just talking about that and then we're talking about the reintroduction of some food so we're going to try her on some eggs but then she said eventually i like cheese but you know i'm like pizza she goes oh my god pizza yeah and you just see her eyes light up and her smile goes from ear to ear and it's interesting people talk about broccoli not like that no (laughs) When when they talk about pizza i mean it's just like the whole world lights up right so it's difficult sometimes working with people in relationship to nutrition because there's so many facets to it. I know that I'm in a little bit of trouble when the patient says, well, do I get a snack? Right? So, and that's just, we're conditioned and that starts early on. That starts when we're young in kindergarten, we get a snack, we get milk and cookies, we get an after-school snack, and then we get a snack before we go to bed. And it's sometimes difficult to break that conditioning. And when we talk about, why they need a snack, and I'm not anti-snack. I don't want to be canceled because I'm anti-snack. I'm not anti-snack. Are we eating a snack because we're truly hungry? Are we eating a snack because we're tired? We're bored. We are actually need to drink more. We're dehydrated. We're sleepy. We're stressed. Or are we eating because we're really hungry? So when somebody says, I want a snack, I'm like, oh, well, have an egg. Oh, I'm not looking for that. You're looking for some sugar. Yeah. And I and I get it. I get it. You know, the days can be very hard. So with a hard day, what do you want? You want something sweet. You know, they, they was what's the thing? Desserts backwards is stress, right? So if you're stressed, you want you want something sweet in your day. Interesting. Right. So you know, and, and I and I get it. So the first thing is like, hey, we're gonna clean up the diet. And the reason why is close in my opinion, the power of health is what's at the end of your fork. period. And when we talk about energy, it's what's at the end of your fork. So a lot of folks get mired in the whole calorie thing. Um, but calories can mean something different to different people for their different presentations. Right? So I'm not so much worried about the calorie. Um, worried about how they're feeling with the calories that they are eating, not in the amount, but what makes up the calorie. So a calorie is nothing but a measurement of energy. That's all it is. So if that's a measurement of energy, then the food that we're taking in should be food that gives us energy. And if that's the case, then you should have good energy. So do you want to treat yourself like you're a Ferrari or do you want to treat yourself like you're a Ford Pinto? Right? So that's the whole thing. So you want to think about what you're taking in at the end of your fork, so it can convert to energy. We find that when we really clean the diet up, like an elimination protocol, which is really just getting rid of all that processed food, yeah. and saying, "No dairy, no grains, no sugar. what am I going to eat? Yeah, food. You're going to eat food. The first week is difficult. The second week, you begin to feel a little bit better. For me, it's not like how much weight they lost. It's like I'm climbing the steps and my knees don't bother me. Mm. My pants fit a little bit better. I'm not breathing as hard. My skin is clearing up. I'm not having that mucus. I'm sleeping better. So just by pulling that lever of what you plan to put at the end of your fork, can change many physiological systems in your body.
1: Oh, that's so powerful because we get to do that at least, you know, a couple, if not three times a day. Correct. It, and it really, it places the, I love your end of fork too, cause it, it's literally in your hands. Your health is is in your hands. So right. that- And
0: I always tell people, listen, you're not wealthy enough to be sick. You don't make that kind of money. You really don't, the greatest way to lose any savings that you've accrued is to get sick. That's true. Right, We, you know, insurance is so expensive, getting tests are so expensive, so you gotta hedge your bet by staying healthy. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect because a lot of patients say, well, does this mean I can never ever have pizza again? Hell no, of course you can but maybe you don't go for the three and four slices and maybe you don't do it once a week anymore. And when you do do it, maybe, you know, you know, the next day you're a little bit better. It's not about being perfect. It's about just making the best choices at the best time.
1: I love it. And to me, I'm usually counseling clients to say, Hey, if you want to have an indulgence, that's fine. Enjoy it. Sure. Indulgences can be interesting psychologically, because if we go, well, I had that and I feel guilty and now just screw it. I'm just going to eat the whole pie or whatever. You know, no, enjoy a slice and move on. And the next meal, make that an extra nourishing meal. So I love that again, back to that end of fork thing. That's beautiful.
0: Exactly. So, I mean, and we have patients who often feel that statement that you made. Well, I already went off it, so forget it. Why Why even bother? Well, you should bother because, again, we're not trying to be 100% perfect. You should enjoy it. But it's also the quality. You know what a cannoli is, right?
1: I do know what a cannoli is. I'm married to an Italian. <laughs> I,
0: I I love cannolis. However, I'm a picky SOB when it comes to cannolis. So if you tell me you got some cannolis and I'm like, where from? You got it from the local supermarket. I'm I'm not going to waste my time, right? But if you got it from one of my favorite bakeries down in South Philly, now we're going to go. Might
1: be right? so
0: I always tell people, wait for that snack to be of quality. And again, what we try to do is upgrade people with the choices of food that they make. So chips is a big one. Dr. K, you don't understand. I need my crunch and I need my salt. Okay. I got you. I got you. Instead of having Doritos, I give them the opportunity to have what's called Siete Chips. Siete is a company. Oh,
1: Siete, family owned. Yeah, family
0: owned, great company. Shout out to them. Love them, love all their products. Um, So we just want to make the choice better and healthier at that given time.
1: I love it. Oh my gosh. We're going to, I'm going to tag Siete on this. Y'all, if you don't know Siete, I'm not saying freaking buy a case of Siete and go to town. It's right. an indulgence, but they are not made with seed oils. And in every episode, I have to shit on seed oils. So what <laughs> say you about seed oils? I'm going to imagine you're no fan.
0: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of seed oils, and but it's going to sneak in here and there. It doesn't mean it's going to crush you. Um, but I do feel like, hey, for the most part, we want to avoid them. Um, I just don't think they're super healthy for you. I think we have to look at the amount of processing that we're eating. I mean, everything we eat is processed, even if we eat a healthy protein bar. Yogurt, is
1: processed, yeah. Right?
0: Yogurt's processed, right? So I, I think I really do my best to for me and and my physiology and my patients that come in, we know we get them away from seed oils, especially if we're looking at them from that anti-inflammatory perspective.
1: Yeah. Awesome. So let's switch gears a little bit. I love it when my listeners ask questions and listener Amy asked me about hypertension. So y'all, hypertension is when your blood pressure is elevated. So I know that following a real whole foods, low carbohydrate nutrition regime can help with lowering blood pressure, but this is not my area of expertise. So I'd love for you to let us know if you have any, like, we'll start with just food do's and don'ts for hypertension. Are there things that sp- spike the blood pressure food-wise? Right. So
0: so we want to talk about blood pressure and, and first give a little bit uh, a background of it. You know, when we measure our blood pressure, it's a systolic over diastolic. It has to do with the uh, pressure of our blood pumping through our arterial system. And the used to be 120 over 80 millimeters. Mercury was the reference range. Then it's now dropped down to like 110 over 70 is what we're looking at. Now, some people started to say, Hey, no, you know, the doctors are only doing that because they want to give you medicine earlier. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not why we did that. It's not why it occurred. You know, when we look at 110 over 70, because if we're, if we're 120 over 80, it's too easy for people to go, I'm only 128 over 85, and, and they start eking up, right? So that's it. It lets us know when the 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 light in the car comes on earlier on your engine, right?
1: Yes, the check engine that, light.
0: That's that's what we want to know, right? So when a light comes on in your car, you don't look at that light and go, "I'm just going to keep driving," right? You're going to stop and go, "Oh, something's up. It's an alarm," right? So 110 over 70 is great. 120 over 80 is acceptable. But when it goes above that, then we want to start monitoring. So that's the important thing. And the reason why I say monitoring because hypertension, high blood pressure are known as a silent killer. That's what we want to look at. So I think people wear their wearables and they look at their, you know, what their pulse is and they see how many steps they get. I think getting a blood pressure cuff for home and taking your blood pressure two times a week if you don't have any issue is absolutely wonderful. I think that's really important, because if it starts taking up, then we have a problem. And it's all about collecting that data. So, huh, that's crazy that day. All right, I'm going to take it the next day. And I'm going to take it the next day. And after the end of the week, you find like, hey, seven days in a row, I'm like 130 over 90, and I'm 138 over 94 this morning. You got to let your doc know about this. And we want to take a look at that sooner rather than later. So some symptoms you can get is like when patients say, Hey, you know, I wake up with this headache in the morning, top of my head, Mm. um, eye pain, headaches. Um, my heart feels funky. Sometimes you get an arrhythmia. So those are where like, Hey, we're going to check that blood pressure and that's okay. Something's already happening. So we got to check it, but we really want to monitor that all along. So, For those who people monitor their sleep, they're great, they're monitoring their steps, that's great, they're counting their calories, that's great, all that's wonderful. And I'm going to say, hey, just as another health step, let's monitor your blood pressure. You run to your local pharmacy, you get yourself a wrist cuff, you can get an arm cuff. Those are all good. I mean, are they 100% perfect? No, but they're pretty good to collect some data points to say something might be up that we need to go to the doctor to have them look at that. So that's number one. All right, number two, what about the food that we eat? So if you look, they say you look up hypertension food and they're gonna show you the DASH diet. Are you familiar with that?
1: Yes, yes. The
0: dietary approach to stopping oh. hypertension, right. right? Fruits and vegetables, good. Um, lean proteins, great. Low-fat dairy, I'll go, hmm, I don't know why we need low-fat dairy instead of full-fat dairy.
1: Well, fat's evil, you um, know that, What's that? That's evil. You know,
0: that, Fats evil. Um, limit sodium, which I can see kind of, and that means you're going to have to stop all of the packaged foods, right? Which is you should anyway. And then it's like whole grains. I'm like, Hmm. Okay. So in my world, I can tell you that when I have my patients in the beginning of their nutritional program, remove whole grains, they do well. Now, somebody may fight with me but whole grains are important and all that kind of stuff i'm like i get I, it exactly I, I i get it there's other ways to get those effects so that's the approach that they take to hypertension um and i've known some people on it but they didn't lose weight and we want them to lose weight and lower the blood pressure so we often see that blood pressure is elevated and their glucose is a little bit high and their hemoglobin A1C is a little bit high. And maybe they got a little bit of NAFLD going on and then their hypertension, high blood pressure is present. So for me, in my opinion, the dietary approach to stop hypertension, I'm going to use small facets of that. I'm probably going to move it towards more of the type of approach that we take more of that keto, more of that paleo approach and so forth. Um, the idea of red meat causing hypertension, in my opinion, is is not true. So I don't, that's not even a discussion to have. So when we have somebody with hypertension, it's not just somebody who is overweight, because this can happen to somebody who looks thin. This can happen to somebody who works out all the time, and they still have hypertension. Because there could be a genetic familial hypertension. You know, mom had it, dad had it, siblings had it, grandparents had it. So we want to be conscious of that right? So that's why it's important to really look at it because it is known as silent killer because like, hey, Bill was just working out yesterday and now Bill's gone, right? So staying on top of it's really, really important. So when you talk about myths around hypertension, it just doesn't happen to people who are older and it just doesn't happen to people who are what society would consider out of shape. It can happen to anyone. Anyone is fair game period. And more ethnicities uh, may have more of a proclivity towards it than other ethnicities as well. So we want to be cognizant of that as well. So that's why you really want to hone in on what you eat. And you really want to eat those whole type foods, you really want to stay away from the packaged processed foods. And often when we have somebody on our protocol, the kids or the significant other get upset, when can we go back and start eating regular food again? Well, we are eating regular food. We're having some protein. We're having a whole bunch of vegetables and, you know, you're eating healthy. It's just, they're so used to eating things out of a package. Yeah. So, you know, you want to consider what you're eating. Now, another myth is that stress can cause an increase in hypertension.
1: So interesting. And you say no.
0: So I feel it plays a role. But it's not always like this is it. So we can talk a little bit about it. So if you are prone to that borderline hypertension, and then I think stressful events and stressful pressure will elevate that.
1: Okay.
0: I think that's important. But we're going to have a stressful moment or stressful time in life that can elevate blood pressure as a response to meet the demand of that stress. But then it should come down. Okay we can't go wrong by reducing our stress from any level, from a hypertensive level, from cardiac, from brain. So we always wanna decrease that stress. So that's something also to look at. And then the other myth is I can do this all just by taking supplements and all by eating right. And this is where I come in and go, maybe, but what can we do to get this blood pressure under control now? We can talk about the nutrition aspect of it. I think that's wonderful. We can talk about the supplement aspect. Absolutely wonderful. But you are presenting with high blood pressure. We need to have medicine. And again, I'm very fortunate to work with a lot of our local conventional medicine docs where I can call and say, hey, listen, this is your this is the last week of the patient's blood pressure. We gotta get them something. And that's what we do, right? So not only do we get them in medicine to get this under control, because we cannot have this blood pressure get out of control, right? So we can take the medicine, but that does not give you the excuse to then not pull the lever of nutrition, the lever of exercise, the lever of sleep, the lever of decreasing stress. And obviously, we have to say, if you're smoking and you're drinking, that's got to go right? So when we look at hypertension, we want to look at it from that multimodal approach. So garlic, we've all heard about how garlic is good for it. We want to make sure we're getting good magnesium. We Sometimes we need potassium. Sometimes we actually uh, need to get um, uh, omega-3s in there as well. So there's things that we can do to help that blood pressure. So when we look at blood pressure, we want to look at it of, is there an immediate need for a medicine do we need to get something on this now and then what other levers can we pull at the same time it's like our diabetic big fan of metformin glucophage i think it's wonderful absolutely love it but we also got to eat right because right.
1: right. if you don't so, eat right in your own metformin you're going to be on insulin exactly and some people say well you
0: know if you take you know our blood pressure medis- medicines you know we have diuretics we have um angiotensin and uh, two uh, blockers. We got ACE inhibitors. We got all these different calcium channel blockers, beta blockers. And of course with any medicine, it's just chemistry, right? So for every action, there's a reaction and you can get some side effect symptoms. Sometimes while will have a patient on a medication, they get that <laughs> cough, they get that cough here. Um, sometimes it's constipation. Sometimes if the blood pressure is dropped too low, you get that low heart rate loss of energy. So it just really depends on the age of the patient, Um, what kind of presentation they are actually showing with their blood pressure, how high um, it was. Is there any genetic involvement? What other meds are taking? And you need to pull all the levers because I can tell you, you don't want blood pressure to get out of control because stroke, heart disease, kidneys, all that gets affected. So when we think about blood pressure, one thing about that multimodal approach to that. And if this approach over here, you do so well with that natural approach and they can start reducing the dosage and then eventually off it then you did a great job
1: that's you a good great- that's almost like a public service announcement y'all so my takeaways right. were you need to be monitoring your blood pressure we have both a wrist deal and an arm deal because that is more accurate um and i did just want to clarify something i think you said NAF ld so what he's talking NAFLD. about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So this right. happens, what, essentially from insulin resistance and out of control? Correct. Sugar, right? Correct.
0: And we're seeing growing NAFLD. disease. kids um, now. Kids that now have it, right? So that's why I think they okayed the um, the the glucagon-like peptide 1, uh, Ozempic and Wegovy for uh, kids now, right? So yeah. that's a whole nother conversation, um, with pros and cons to that. Um, and again, it's, it's that, that wonderful thing, like, okay, we can give you this medicine, but you have to pull these other levers, right? Cause we want that whole mindset to change. Cause I'm hoping that somebody eventually comes off of that, but they're already in the mindset of eating right and moving right.
1: Yes. That and that's what's important. So important. It's critical. Right. Ah thank you super helpful um amy i know you're listening so there In you house. go y'all other listeners have a question keep them coming so switching gears and title entirely, entirely rather mm-hmm. um i know you're not going to tell us the title of this book but you're writing a new book and it's um it's beyond what i would call my books kind of sassy but yours <laughs>
0: I, wait, yeah. what you
1: tell us you're not going to tell us the title and that's fine but what what do we need to know when is yeah
0: so you know listen good lord do we need another book on nutrition yes. right so that's why when i read yours and i reached out to you because i i read yours i'm like hey th- this woman's right up my alley man she's got that nice sass right um part of our our our, our brand for the center of functional health is all about health humor and hope right oh. so we want to be able to create this environment where we can deliver some great information uh, in a very easy way and and give the patient hope. Because without hope, we have nothing to really live for, right? So you will always hear a lot of laughter in the office, um, which is great, there's always notes of sarcasm as well. Um, So in writing this book, I'm thinking, okay, how do I really get the, the point across? And I hope to utilize humor to help get the point across on why we need to eat right. So moving away from this aesthetic so we have to look a certain way um i want to feel a certain way so that's what i'm looking for in this book and it's not going to be like in the last you know 200 pages are recipes right we we all know what to eat and everybody can get recipes now and there are amazing chefs out there amazing recipe books out there this is just like how do we fit healthy nutrition into our lives and how do we share with our with our children Right. And that's, and that's what the book is. It was about with, with, a, with a whole bunch of sass.
1: I love it. I cannot wait. I, you know, to, I just interviewed um, Ben Azadi and he, I actually did laugh reading his book, Keto Flex, but I have a feeling I'm going to be like needing a tissue and not wearing mascara when I read yours. So when this book is available, I will let y'all know. I, I want a signed copy. So. that You are. <laughs> um, So, one of the reasons that I sought counsel with a functional medicine doctor myself is I was looking for root cause. So, it's one thing to be told, okay, your thyroid is suboptimal, for example. Um, It's another thing to be me and someone who doesn't want to take Synthroid. You know, I have this in my family. My mom has hypothyroid. I just really wanted to try to get to that root cause. So, can you speak a little bit about? how you might work with your patients in seeking root cause and then addressing root cause?
0: Right. So in, in functional medicine, they often talk about, you know, we're looking for the root cause and to be perfectly blunt and honest, sometimes we don't know, right? Mm -hmm.
1: Humility also health, humor, hope, and humility. I like it.
0: So we can theorize why something came around, but sometimes we don't know, right? So what do we say to the patient that has done everything right by the book they exercised, they slept they done everything right and then they got cancer mm. right so what is the root cause for that you want to point to environmental problems and gmos do you want to point to something they had when they were exposed to when they were younger sometimes we don't we don't know Right. So when I hear about root cause, we surely do our best. So even if we know the root cause, what do we do with it? Right. So I have a patient who was, you know, exposed to Chernobyl when she was younger. So we know the root cause. It was Chernobyl. It was this leak and she's got thyroid. What do we do with that now? Yes. That's the important question, right? What do we do with that? What levers do we pull? We, we know the root cause. There's, there's no question about it. There's not even a theoretic question, like what may have caused it. We know what did. So we have the root cause. We still have to do something with it. So sometimes we can go looking for the root cause. And then sometimes it really doesn't make the difference. I still have to do something with my patient who's in front of me, who's in tears, whose life has been turned upside down who doesn't feel well and has been not turned away from the medical system, but they don't know what else to do because everything looks normal and maybe they can't get the test or the blood work to move it forward. So root cause is important. A lot of times when we work with irritable bowel patients Mm -hmm. and irritable bowel diarrhea or constipation and we go back in time and we say, where did this begin? When did this start? And they'll say something in my childhood. And you dig a little bit deeper and you say, hey, there was an event that happened. So that psychological or psychological, physical or psychological, physical, emotional all together happened. So we can pull all the right levers to help their GI system. But if we don't get them to the right Therapists to really dig in deep, then we only go so far. Right. So when I think of my patient and we, I want to think of them, like, what team do I need to put together for them?
1: Awesome. Yeah. Right.
0: So you hear about these athletes, right? The athletes, they have a team, you know, they show up two hours before someone's stretching them, someone's injecting them, you know, someone's getting them the right food. Someone's working on them afterwards. Someone's working on them during, they have a team. When you talk about these Hollywood stars that comes out and tell us what we should eat. And we know they got a chef, how they should work out. They know they got a personal trainer. They're gonna tell you what supplements to take. You know, they can afford whatever they want. Well, where's my patient's team, right? So we wanna create that team for that patient. So maybe in that irritable bowel case, we need to get them somebody to help them with the psychology of it. The study, the adverse childhood events, Um, experiences. We know that if somebody had something happen to them when they were very young, be it either sexual or something happened to them physical or something, mom and dad, something happened. We know later on in life, their proclivity towards diabetes and heart disease is up here, not down here. Right? So we can dig in deep and that's great. And then if we find something, we got to get them to the right professional. And to sit with somebody and start talking. And I think cognitive behavior therapy is really important. Talk therapy is important. It's the hardest thing that one can do. So digging in deep, looking inside introspection is harder than going for a run. Introspection is harder than eating the right foods. To learn about what has happened, what can we do with it plays a really important role. So when we look at like root cause, that's the stuff that we look for. And then like you talked about suboptimal, So when traditional conventional medicine looks at blood work, they look at it from perspective of, is there something pathological below the reference range, above the reference range? And then how does that marker look like compared to the other markers? And how does this look like compared to the clinical presentation of the patient? So in functional medicine, we look at that and we say, all right, what do we need to do to optimize them? For example, vitamin D, the reference range is 30 to 100. So, how much vitamin do you need? I don't know. People say what vitamins do I take? I'm like, I don't know. What's the problem, right? What does your blood work look like? Right? So we want to look at that. So, if somebody's vitamin D is like 40, you're like, okay, that's great, but maybe you need a 1000 or 2000 IU depending on how much sun you get, cuz I'm more comfortable from an immune perspective that you know, 50 to 60 to 70. I think that's
1: optimal better. versus just optimal. hitting that right. 31. Yeah. I don't want to be anywhere right. near 30. No. You're
0: just fine. <laughs> and then, but if you're a hundred because vitamin D is fat soluble, and then I got to pull that down because why are you a hundred? It's being stored in your liver. We don't want that. And then if you're like 20, I got to speak to your doc cause we need a prescription. Right now. Some, some people argue, well, that vitamin D number is not important. And all I can share with you is that often when I improve the vitamin D of my patients, they do better. So I hope the answer is the root cause. So sometimes, awesome. sometimes we don't know. And if we do know, what are we going to do with my patient that's in front of me? How do I make their life better?
1: I love the specific examples. I love, as I said, the humility Um, And and just the practical nature. So again, I was I was feeling this vibe earlier in our conversation, how wonderful it must be to be in your shoes, helping people like getting, you know, in in the weeds, if you will. Um, And I just again, if any of you. So tell me about your are you obviously you're in Pennsylvania. So if someone is nearby, they can contact you. Do you do online consults or does someone need to be? so both
0: in Pennsylvania and California. So I'm licensed in I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, California, uh New York, and a telehealth license in Florida. Oh, Florida, um, yay. Yeah. Unfortunately, New York is 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 tough on docs across the board with their scope and what you're allowed to do. So if I see somebody in New York, it's just from that chiropractic physical perspective. Um, but in California and Florida, Florida is a wonderful state to practice actually um docs get to do a lot more to help their patients in florida um so you know we'll see somebody here you know a lot in pennsylvania and we'll see them in the office not we know we want to reach out to their primary care physician and say hey we had the opportunity to speak with your patient this is what's going on what have you seen so i actually get on the phone and and speak with the doc because i think again it should be that team approach i think that's really really important so we look at them and it depends what you're coming for. So my role is GI, autoimmune, uh, brain fog, fatigue. My joints saved me. I lost my get up and go. Um, that's, that's a lot what we see in the office. And then we'll work with that person. So real in-depth intake. And then we do the exam. We'll look at blood work. We'll look at functional medicine lab testing. And just a brief thing on functional medicine lab tests. A lot of my patients want to come with to the office and they want every single test. Um, cause, and I don't blame them. They're, they don't feel well. Right. So they're looking for that one thing that, oh, so that's missing. Once I add that, oh. everything will be great. I, I wish it was as easy as that. So I think a lot of times we don't need all of the testing, right? So for example, in, in the musculoskeletal chronic pain world, somebody comes in with an issue, we're going to treat it if it's not getting better in four weeks, then we're going to go for the MRI or the ultrasound, right? So in my world, depending on what they come in with, it's like, all right, you know, let's change the lifestyle around a little bit. If we're not moving that needle forward, then we'll go for that stool test or then we'll go for the hormonal panel. Um, A lot of docs don't like doing the hormone panels um, because they feel it's just a snapshot in time. That's why we like to look at it a little bit differently. So it just depends what that patient has And then we create the menu for them. There's so much happening when they come in. It's hard to pull everything at once. We cannot pull the lever of exercise, the lever of food, the lever of sleep, the lever of meditation, lever of mindfulness, lever of mindset. We can't pull all those levers at one time because you just don't have that physiological wherewithal, that, that strength, that bandwidth to do that. So the easiest thing I can do is let's just change the food make you feel a little bit better. Once we have that physiological buy-in now that you're feeling better. Now let's start talking about how we move. Now let's start talking about how we meditate. Let's start talking about how we are thinking our mind frame, right? So all that's important. Just when you feel horrible, it's just hard to do all those
1: things. Right. Yeah, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Too, you, you, baby steps. That, that's, um, Y'all, so this is really personalized care. So if you're in any of those states that Dr. K mentioned and you are struggling and you would like another person on your team, reach out. Um, on that note, where should people find and follow you, sir?
0: So we're on the website is the centerforfunctional.com and that's F-O-R, not the number four. So the centerforfunctional.com and on Facebook, The same name and also on Instagram as well.
1: Awesome. Thank you. So, in closing, I like to ask this question um, because the nourishment mindset is certainly about a lot of the things that we have talked about today, but it's also about the pleasures of the table. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, mindful indulgence, that sort of thing. But I'm just curious in your household, your family. Do you have a favorite table side tradition, whether it's a daily ritual, some sort of favorite dish, a celebration, what's going on Shea K? Yeah,
0: I'm very fortunate. My My wife is an amazing cook chef. I mean, she adheres to all my nutritional quirks. You know, when I, when, I, when I read another article, I come downstairs. and I said, "Listen." So I was reading this article, and just like, "Please stop. Just tell me what you're not eating or eating. It's just so much easier. I don't need the abstract. I don't need the absolute versus relative value. I don't need any of that. Just tell me what you're eating, not eating." So I'm very fortunate, and I'm very so fortunate in Pennsylvania. We have a lot of great farms that are still existing. So this is a shout out to Bolton's Turkey Farm. Um, I go to my Bolton's Turkey Farm almost every week. And my favorite thing is their turkey. They got an amazing, like, turkey cutlet that I love. Um, turkey cutlet, broccoli is my favorite. So that that, that that is hands down my favorite. And favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving when everyone's home, when everyone's around.
1: Eating all the gift-giving and stress. I love it. Well, y'all, that's a fun note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the Nourishment Mindset, Dr. K., I will link your site and your socials in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you at low carb Boca. We'll be there. Get some vitamin D. It's free. Can't wait. (laughs)